Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 we got an inquiry uh actually it was this morning wasn't it mr producer from congressman jim jordan's office and jim asked if he could come on the show with kevin mccarthy and we said of course and depending how voting goes in the house of representatives i don't know what they want to say i can imagine uh, that will occur around 8.20 p.m. in the third hour. Again, assuming they don't have voting going on. I, I want to talk about something here. How Washington and the media attempt to manipulate us. And not just the Democrats in the media, but the Republican establishment in the media and their media. How they try to manipulate us. How that they try to get us to think a certain way. Herschel Walker lost last night, and it's too bad. The racism against Herschel Walker from white media types and black media types has been disgusting. And the fact that they laid off Warnock, who is a Marxist, who has embraced racists and anti-Semites like Farrakhan and Leonard Jeffries, and where there were allegations in court by his ex-wife, about physical abuse, physical, and refusing to pay uh, child care and child, child support. It was as if it never happened before. Or his mistreatment of low-income tenants in what has to be called a slumlord operation in an apartment that's owned by his church through a third party. And I guess you can spend $100 million against Herschel Walker to turn him into a monster and to protect a Warnock. And yet all through the pseudo-conservative media, forget about the left, 
all through the Republican establishment in Washington, led by Mitch McConnell. Last night, it was Donald Trump's fault. Twelve years ago in 2010, when there was a complete blowout on the House of Representatives, where the Republicans picked up 63 seats thanks to the Tea Party, they lost a number of seats in the Senate that they thought they would win. They were close. And Mitch McConnell and the Republican establishment and their media, the Wall Street Journal and their ilk, blamed the Tea Party. See the pattern? But really, what is the common denominator here? It's Mitch McConnell and the Republican establishment. They stood for nothing in 2010. And they stand for nothing today. They support amnesty for millions of illegal aliens in exchange for virtually nothing. McConnell and his cohorts have been negotiating feverishly with the Democrats for an omnibus bill, a massive, multi-thousand page document where you and I have no say and neither do the other senators. It looks like it's breaking down, thank God. So they may have a short-term resolution, spending resolution. But that said, that's not his first option. That's not his desired intention. They vote for what they call the Respect for Marriage Act or something of that fort, that, uh, that, that name. That's not what it's about. It's a War on Religion Act. And we know that because the Republicans that supported it, 12 of them, and the Democrats would not support Mike Lee's amendment, which would fill a gap that would protect religious institutions and organizations from federal lawsuits and compel them to recognize arrangements sexual activities that their faith rejects. So that was a war on religion act. We had an infrastructure bill that 19 Republicans voted for well before the election, you might recall, including McConnell. Another trillion or so on the pot, adding to the pile of debt. Where is it? What's happened to it? Now, McConnell's been in the Senate 38 years, since 1984. The borders are wide open. We have $31 trillion in debt. We're losing liberty every day. The Republicans are losing elections that they should be winning. And much like Biden... Much like Biden, who blames inflation on others, who blames gas prices on others, and all the rest of it. McConnell does the same, except the difference is McConnell blames conservatives. Why? Because he's always hated conservatives. They make life difficult for him. That's what they do. We're told McConnell has done a fantastic job on the judiciary. Joe Biden has pushed through more judges at this time in his presidency than Ronald Reagan did or Donald Trump did. 
And he's loaded up federal district courts and appellate courts with activists. Mitch McConnell has not stopped them. There's been no filibuster battle. Nothing of any consequence. The minority can do a lot in the Senate, as Chuck Schumer has demonstrated to us on those rare occasions when he's been in the minority. But we conservatives are told over and over again, it's the Tea Party's fault, it's Donald Trump's fault, it's the fault of conservatives. Was it our fault that John McCain lost against Barack Obama? Was it our fault that Mitch Romney lost against Barack Obama? Was it our fault that George W. Bush barely won in Florida? But won thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court doing the right thing? These people would have you believe that they're, they're always one election away from some kind of a historic event. If only you and I would shut up. If only you and I would get out of the way. If only the Tea Party would drop dead. If only Trump would drop dead. And it'll be the next conservative after that and after that and after that. And yet they're in power for decades. Have things improved? Under the Republicans in the Senate in particular, there have been efforts in the House, no question. The Gingrich Revolution. Fantastic. And by that, I'm not talking about kamikaze Republicans and pseudo-conservatives who are just trying to, to be drama queens and draw attention to themselves. I'm not talking about that. Serious-minded, serious conservatives. Truth is, Donald Trump has done more to change the Supreme Court than Mitch McConnell ever did. Ever. What is the legislative agenda today of the Senate Republicans? We know in the case of the House, they're still fighting with each other. What is the legislative agenda? What was it before the election? What was it during the election? And what is it today? They have none. With all these problems piling up, the dismantling of America by the Democrat Party, the failures of the ruling class, what is their agenda? Seems to me there's so many things they can be doing, they should be at least laying out three, four, five, six things they intend to do, including when they intend to trigger the filibuster to stop the Democrats. What is it? What is it? There's nothing. You can't rally the voters. You can't rally the troops with nothing. We lost these seats and we lost these elections for two reasons. None of which has to do with Donald Trump. None of which had to do with the Tea Party. Because there's no effective leadership in the Republican Party. In the Senate. And they don't even try. Because they don't believe. They don't share our values and they don't share our principles. They stand for nothing. When you say you want to meet the Democrats on the 40-yard line while they're destroying America, 
You're insane. And you're asked before the election, what is your number one objective? And you say bipartisanship. You're a fool. There was no wall being built in all these years when McConnell was in the Senate, 15 years as the Republican leader, when George W. Bush was president, when George H. Bush W. Bush was president. None. Who was it that prevented the elimination of Obamacare? John McCain. Who is it today that throws in with the Democrats as a saboteur to any conservative agenda? Mitt Romney. Who is it that's working with the Democrats today to blow up the budget, to blow up the debt, to further blow up immigration? It's McConnell and the boys and the girls. And who is it that cost us the election last night? Who is it that cost us elections on election day? The same people who cost us Senate seats in 2010. Not the activists. Not those who are sick and tired of what McConnell and Schumer, what Washington is doing to them out in the hitherlands. It's McConnell and his ilk, supported by major media, pseudo-conservative media. Donald Trump is just the latest foil. They always have a foil. This candidate or that candidate's bad. Look at the rhinos in the Senate. You see any Churchills there? You see any Thatchers there? You see any Reagans there? Are these top-notch people? No. They're not top-notch at anything. And they prove it every day. In the U.S. Senate. They prove it every day. But they want to cut deals. Collins, Romney, Tillis. They're lining up. Wanting to cut deals. With a party the Democrat Party that is out to destroy this country and our way of life that does not believe in the Constitution that's the next thing suspend the Constitution we've heard about this McConnell couldn't wait to go out there yesterday and attack Donald Trump again this is a defense of conservatism a defense of activism a defense of you the patriots in this country Trump was president for four years. Did he ever suspend the Constitution? Did he ever do damage to the Constitution? Did he ever defy a court? No, he appointed constitutionalists to the courts. He did more to uphold the Constitution than most of his predecessors. But who is it that wants to suspend the Constitution? Who is it that's trying to destroy the independence of the judiciary? Who is it that violates separation of powers every damn day with his executive orders? 
Who is it that won't apply the Constitution of the law to immigration and the border? Who is it that spends money from the Oval Office that is not granted by the House of Representatives? Who is it that attacks the framers of the Constitution and says we need to start all over? Why doesn't McConnell drag his sorry ass in front of a microphone and attack those people who are doing real damage to this country and real damage to our Constitution? Because he's a coward. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. in charge of redistricting for the Republican Party in all 50 states. Well, ultimately the governor, of course, if he's a Republican. Or if the governor is a Democrat, the Republican legislature should duke it out. If there's no Republican legislature, no Republican governor, then that's problematic, isn't it? But where there are Republicans, who's in charge? The governor or the legislature. And the National Party is supposed to be working with them, coordinating with them, providing them with lawyers and litigation support. Why the hell else are they there? Why do they raise money? So whose fault was that? Was that Donald Trump's fault too? Was that the fault of the conservative movement too? Whose fault was that? Who controls the levers of power in Washington? Who controls the RNC? Who controls half a billion dollars in dark money? McConnell. I'll be right back. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. 
My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. I want to read something to you. Why am I doing this? Mark, you're just so Trump, Trump. No, it has nothing to do with that, really. Trump's just their latest foil. You are their constant foil. Whether it's Tea Party, whether it's Convention of States, whether they're opposition to the Reagan Revolution, the Trump Revolution, it's constant. They hate us. They hate their base. They hate conservatives. This is a piece by Dove Fisher, D.O.V. Fisher, in one of my favorite publications, The American Spectator. On Trump, Kanye, Biscuit, Jews, and Dinners. He says, I begin with certain definitions. Number one, the Jew-hater formerly known as Conway West now prefers to be called Ye. Therefore, for the duration of this article, I will call him Kanye. Number two, the white supremacist Holocaust-mocking Jew-hater who was ancillary to the unfortunate dinner at Mar-a-Lago. That would be this guy Fuentes. Compare Jews murdered in the death camps to baked cookies. Therefore, for the duration of this article, I shall call him by the name Biscuit. Number three, Donald John Trump is a philo-simon. That's P-H-I-L-O-S-E-M-I-T-E. A philo-semite. You don't hear that term often because not so many people, other than Bible Christians who believe in Genesis 12.3, is the word of God love Jews. But that's what a philosimite is. He or she loves Jews, even despite certain Jews, just as I do. And I shall bless them that bless thee. And he that curseth thee shall I curse. And in thee shall all the families of earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. It says, now to business. I don't know why Donald Trump loves Jews. Maybe because more than 90% of Orthodox Jews voted for him against both Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Maybe because his daughter is an Orthodox Jew. Maybe because Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, whom he loves and trusts, is an Orthodox Jew. Maybe because Trump's, uh, Trump's grandchildren are Orthodox Jews who observe the Sabbath according to its laws, eat strictly kosher, and attend Yeshiva Jewish parochial school. Or my personal theory writes, maybe because his father, Fred, who is one of the great fellow Semites of the prior generation and who even donated property to a Jewish congregation for them to have a synagogue taught young Donald that part of the Trump family legacy is to love Jews. When others refused to hire Jews, Donald Trump did. Number one, he opened the restricted Mar-a-Lago private club to blacks and Jews when he bought it. Number two, he surrounded himself with honorable Jewish legal scholars and attorneys like David Friedman and Jason Greenblatt. And even a bum named Michael Cohen, whose kid's bar mitzvah he attended. In Israel, Trump would be elected prime minister by a landslide. 
after nearly half a century of broken promises by other American presidents. Three, Trump formally declared and America recognized United Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Number four, he moved America's Israel embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Number five, he recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Number six, he recognized the permanent legality of all Jewish communities and cities ridiculously called settlements in Judea and Samaria, falsely called the West Bank, as legal in all situations that Israel's own courts regard them as legal. Number seven, he cut off hundreds of millions of dollars funding for Ab- Abu Mazan, Muhammad Abbas, his illegal government and the Palestinian Authority on the grounds that they pay monthly stipends, pay to slay, to families of Arab terrorists who murder Jews or otherwise perpetrate acts of terror. Number eight, he closed down the Palestinian Liberation Organization office in Washington. Number nine, he closed down America's long-standing Palestinian consulate in Jerusalem, which Biden's about to open. Number 10, he pulled the United States out of the anti-Semitic UN Human Rights Council. Number 11, he cut off $300 million in funding that America had been sending the Jew-hating UNRWA, a Jew-hating United Nations agency that runs schools in places like Gaza, where our Muslim children are taught to hate Jews and murder Jews. Number 12, he appointed a U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, who warned anti-Israel countries that were taking down names. 13, he commuted the anti-Semitic Iowa prison sentence of Shalom Rushbaskin. Number 14, almost unilaterally brought about the Abraham Accords that induced several leading Arab Muslim countries for the first time to enter into true peace agreements with Israel without Israel ceding an inch of Jewish territory in Judea and Samaria. 15. His Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, endorsed yeshiva education during visits to two yeshivas in New York City trip while skipping visiting the city's public schools. And moreover, 16. Trump issued an executive order on combating anti-Semitism to, uh, uh, to the enforcement of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act to protect Jewish college students from the over-Jew hatred now rampant on so many college campuses. And 17, he named Kenneth Marcus as Assistant Secretary of Civil Rights at the Department of Education to investigate anti-Semitic episodes at campuses like Rutgers in New Jersey. Number 18, Trump deported the last Nazi war criminal known to be hiding in America. Number 19, he signed in a law a bill making it easier for Holocaust victims to reclaim stolen property. Number 20, he ended the disastrous Iran deal and implemented crushing sanctions against Iran. 21, signed the Taylor Force Act. 22, knocked off Hasim Soleimani. 23, rubbed out Abu Bakr of al-Baghdadi. 24, shattered State Department policy by authorizing Americans born in Jerusalem to list Israel on their American passports as their country of birth. 25, imposed sanctions on the International Criminal Court for unfairly and illegally investigating Israel. 26, said at his 2019 State of the Union address, we must never ignore the vile poison of anti-Semitism or those who spread its venom. With one voice, we must confront this hatred anywhere and everywhere it occurs. That's the definition of a lifelong fellow Semite who loves Jews. Copy and paste the above paragraph, he writes, and email it or post it or retweet it to anyone who does not already know that Trump and his father 
were in our lifelong fellow Semites, friends and admirers of Jews, not to mention Ivanka and his grandkids. But the left-wing news media say otherwise? Since when can we trust ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, and The Washington Post? The New York Times, run by self-hating Jews who lean over backward to prove they're neutral on Jewish matters, covered up the Holocaust, as they did Holodomor, and opposed the creation of Israel. This is documented all over the place. When Trump first sought the Republican nomination for president in 2016, the media fell over themselves trying to prove Trump was anti-Jewish. They found an absolute nobody, an activist for homosexual rights in New Jersey, who very briefly was spoke, a spokesman for an insignificant group named the very insignificant, named a very significant Anne Frank to go on CNN and other TV stations to be quoted in the New York Times for equating Trump with anti-Semitism. They twisted every possible Trump quote and gesture to have hidden meaning that only they could divine. It was like their obscene equating of Laura Ingram with Nazism by showing a photo of her waving to an audience at the 2016 Republican pro- convention, capturing a split second of wave to make it look like a Zig Heil Hitler salute. It's all a game of gotcha. You say you're not an anti-Semite, so we will hire people whose job description will be to follow you, to investigate you, to magnify glass you until they can find their proof. And then, ah, blessed Charlottesville. Take a pinpointed picture of despicable white supremacists and neo-Nazi wannabes amid a hugely larger crowd of demonstrators seeking to deter the tearing down of a historic monument dedicated to heroes who fought for Virginia a century earlier. Then catch Trump saying there were good people on both sides. Because there were. And, gotcha. Just a bit of editing and clipping, and it can be distorted to seem he was saying the Nazis were good people to whom he was referring. Lies, damn lies, and more damn lies. What was the quiet private Mar-a-Lago dinner with Kanye and Biscuit about? I begin with a verse of 1 Samuel fifteen seventeen, when the prophet Samuel, probably our greatest prophet in Judaism, confronted King Saul for not having fulfilled God's command to eradicate the Amalekites. Saul explained that he spared certain sheep, cattle, and, uh, and the Amalekite king to accommodate the demands of the common people. And Samuel said to him, quote, Although you may be insignificant in your own eyes, you are the head of the tribes of Israel, and God anointed you to be the king of Israel. In other words, your exalted position does not afford you the luxury to show compassion and sensitivity to embodiments of evil. If you wanted that flexibility to dine, with a gog over Malachite, filet mignon, and lamb chops, you should have stuck to building hotels and skating rinks in Bethlehem and Hebron, and golf courses and casinos and Shiloh and Bethel. But you became king of Israel. That changed your rules of engagement, whether you like it or not. He says, I understand why Trump agreed to meet with Kanye. Trump is running for president in 2024. And he benefits by maintaining an open line of communication with that mental case because Kanye potentially might split off votes from some black Trump voters. But if he had to meet with Kanye, Trump should have done it by inviting Kanye to a a mano-mano working lunch in his private office behind closed doors. Frankly, since Kanye is a certified nut, the better part of wisdom would have been and would be going forward to steer clear of him and let him further self-destruct over the next two years until he hangs himself with laces from a pair of 
Yeezy sneakers. Just saying. In any event, Trump should not be meeting with the likes of Biscuit. I believe Trump a million percent when he says he didn't know Biscuit or what the oddball stands for or against. I believe it because one of the most worldly and well-informed colleagues in my inner orbit of rabbinic leaders recently wrote me off the record to ask me whether I ever heard of Biscuit, and if so, could I feel him? I had never heard of the guy, frankly. I challenge any other person under oath and on a lie detector to say he or she would do otherwise. Uh, actually, that's not, I, I skipped. If I invite John Doe, whom I, he goes on here, and he's, he's being critical of the dinner. But he's saying the idea, the idea that you could take this and then treat Trump like he's some kind of anti-Semite or white supremacist is appalling. Appalling. I'm reading this. All Trump needs, he says, is to have two or three trusted advisors he can consult when sticky situations arise. The ability to acknowledge a mishap rapidly without enabling the gotcha crowd, the haters, the gumption to tweet a no-holds-barred 128-word like the above, that is, that these guys are really scum. But really, the big point is, those things I read to you, Joe Biden is undoing all of them. Joe Biden is a promoting and trying to appoint an anti-Semite to be the ambassador to Brazil. Joe Biden's party is filled with anti-Semites. The media are filled with anti-Semites. But Trump's the problem, you see. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Again, a reminder in hour three, at the request of Jim Jordan's office, uh, we will have Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy on the McCarthy on the program at about eight twenty p.m. Eastern. If they're not still voting, also, I'm now told at nine twenty-five p.m. I will be on Hannity. Nine twenty-five p.m. You know, he's really steady, Eddie Hannity. He's, uh, he, he's a serious professional. He does a great job. He digs into these things. He has terrific guests on. Really, don't you agree, Mr. Producer? 
He doesn't. He doesn't play games. Uh, he's he's easy to like, like the guy next door. I tell you this. He's one of my best friends, but he is what he is. He's just he's just a great guy who loves this country and keeps plowing ahead. And he's been on Fox, I think, 25, 26 years. That's pretty amazing, really. Lots more. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So there's this case... That's at the Supreme Court called Moore versus Harper. This is the North Carolina case we've been talking about. And this is the case that involves the language about state legislatures in the federal constitution. And the Democrats are desperate to prevent the constitution from being applied to elections. They've destroyed our election system. They've destroyed it. This is what the Republicans in the Senate and some of the House will not come to grips with. This is what some of the Republican governors will not come to grips with. This is what all the media will not come to grips with, particularly those on the take as consultants and pollsters, many of whom have media platforms. They just as soon find a foil and attack that foil. But it's them. They've changed the laws in these states, and they know exactly what they've done. You have a handful of brave Republican legislators and legislatures who are trying to get this under control. And, of course, they're accused of racism, Jim Crow 2, Jim Eagle, whatever the nut comes up with. And so all the talk about suspending the Constitution, this case is about the Constitution being suspended by Democrats and their surrogates in the states. Because that's how they win elections. They're winning a lot of elections because they've changed the voting systems in these states, and they've changed the voting systems in these states not to lose, but to win. And the idea that you shouldn't have voter ID is insane, and that's one of the core issues with the Democrat Party. Why? Because they believe in enshrining and institutionalizing fraud. Why? Because they're frauds. Now, when the country was adopted the Constitution and then ratified it through the states, this language in the Constitution about the state legislatures and elections and electors was crucial. Several states would not have voted to ratify the Constitution had they not retained the power over the election process. Not the date and the time of choosing and not the age of federal officials and so forth, but in terms of the processes by which individuals are selected. 
In the first elections under our Constitution, five states, that is five state legislatures, actually chose the electors themselves. There was no popular vote. Now, I don't support that, but I I mention that just so you understand how significant this language is in the Constitution. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the framers of the Constitution and the state ratifiers, if they actually believed that a judge could determine the electoral process, or a judge could change what a legislature did, There was implied judicial review. Some states had judicial review. That was never acceptable. Certainly not early in our history. Ever, never. So the question is whether we want partisan activist courts at the state and federal level to make determinations over how the voting processes work or you want state legislatures to do it following their state constitutions. That's the simple deal. In 2000, the rogue state Supreme Court, which didn't have a single Republican or Republican-appointed justice on there, although the chief justice was a very moderate, moderate and, uh, and prudent individual, but he was outvoted. The radicals in the court, much like the radicals on our Supreme Court, kept changing the voting process, just as they did in 2020 in Pennsylvania. Well, you have elected justices and you have majority Democrats. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court violated the state constitution because you actually need to amend the state constitution to change the voting system there. It's a very laborious process, and that's the way one of the oldest constitutions in the country functions in Pennsylvania. That's the way they wanted it. But that's not the way the majority of Democrats on that court wanted it. And so that was one of the challenges that was brought that was attacked as, oh, look at this, they're so futile, look at them. They just want to reverse. Morons like J. Michael Ludig, who've abandoned their their judicial and philosophical principles in this regard anyway. So in North Carolina... The Speaker of the House of Representatives, Republican, they sent their proposal, they, and, they, and the Supreme Court, where it was challenged, threw it out and rewrote it. And the Supreme Court of North Carolina determined the congressional districts for North Carolina. Now, do you think the framers of your Constitution or the ratifiers of the Constitution would have agreed with that? Of course not. But the Democrats rely on it. Many of these marginal states, politically speaking, purple or leaning red, but you never know, you know, that sort of thing. If you change the election system and the courts do it for you, you're going to win. That's why Mark Elias and 300 lawsuits later, the Democrats were able to change the laws in these various states. And that, to me, is the real issue of what took place in this last election across the country. And so they had a hearing on this today, an oral argument. And the pressure's on in the media and elsewhere. If, if in fact, the Constitution is upheld, 
if in fact the state legislatures retain their their ultimate authority and don't surrender it to the one of the two other branches of the state the executive or the judicial which are not mentioned in this section of the constitution the legislature is then we can have all kinds of problems you see because it's too political elections are political america that's what they're intended to be that's why the criminalization of a challenge to an election by the Biden administration in the effort to imprison the former president, many of his lawyers and his staffers is so tyrannical and totalitarian while they claim that they stand for the Constitution. Not over my dead body, do they? So here's Justice Elena Kagan during the hearing today. Cut 15, go. Uh, if I could, Mr. Thompson, I'd like to step back a bit and just, um, you know, think about consequences, because this is a theory with big consequences. It, um, it would uh, say that if a legislature engages in the most extreme forms of gerrymandering, um, there is no state constitutional remedy for that, even if the courts think that that's a violation no, of the Constitution. she knows that's not true. We're not talking about violations of the Constitution. For instance, if a state legislature were to gerrymand congressional districts in a way that violated the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which was ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures, I will remind you, that is one of the post-Civil War amendments, a state legislature is not free to do that. In other words, a state legislature is not free to violate the federal constitution or the state constitution. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a Supreme Court such as Pennsylvania deciding, well, we're going to extend the counting of ballots another week. Well, you don't have to actually sign the envelope. Well, you don't have to actually date the envelope, even though that's state law. That has no civil rights implication. That doesn't violate the federal or the state constitution. That's what we're talking about. Elena Kagan knows it. But it's just like this so-called Respect to Marriage Act about interracial marriage. There's no prohibition. There's nothing to stop people from different backgrounds from marrying each other. Nothing hasn't occurred for over half a century. But you want to scare people. And here we have Elena Kagan trying to do exactly that. Go ahead. It would say that legislatures could enact all manner of restrictions on voting, get rid of all kinds of <coughs> voter protections that the state constitution, in fact, prohibits. That's not uh, true. You know, it's amazing to me. In Pennsylvania, they raised this issue. And explain this issue. This is shocking to me. To the U.S. Supreme Court, which rejected their case. She clearly didn't read it. Now, there were two briefs that were sent to the Supreme Court. I'm talking about this one in particular, on this issue. She clearly didn't read it. Because in that brief that went to the U.S. Supreme Court, seeking a remedy, seeking relief... It specifically said that the legislature has to comply with the federal and state constitutions, but so does the state Supreme Court and the governor.
So you cannot have a Republican state legislature violate its Supreme Court. It is assumed, excuse me, its Constitution. It's assumed that it will follow the law of the state or follow the federal Constitution. So it's not the state legislature that's violating anything. For instance, you have the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Nobody's saying that doesn't apply, the aspects that have survived judicial review at the Supreme Court level. Nobody's saying that a state legislature can override that or legislate against it in the face of it. Nobody's saying a legislature can pass a law that says blacks can't vote or only whites vote or you have to do this, yeah, in violation of federal constitution or state constitution. It's a very simple case. What's being said is a state legislature following and complying with federal and state constitutional law, they make the election laws. Not the courts. Or let me say this to Elena Kagan. Is the, is the converse true? That the courts are free to violate the Constitution? That a governor is free to violate the Constitution? That a secretary of state is free the Constitution? Violate it? Why is it assumed that a state legislature will violate a state or federal Constitution? So you can say that about any branch of the state or federal government. So she has nothing to add. Go ahead. Allow the legislatures to insert themselves, to give themselves a role in the certification of elections. And, and, um, well, that uh, is true. That is true. For instance, I talked to you this, this with you many times. If the Florida Supreme Court had continued without the federal Supreme Court intervention, the Florida legislature was going to intervene and put an end to what the Florida Supreme Court was doing. One of the branches has to take control and finalize the matter. And under the Constitution, it's the state legislature. I know that drives people nuts, particularly those who believe in judicial tyranny. Except, of course, when the Dobbs decision comes down, then they want to pack the court. They want to destroy its independence. They badmouth it. They want to undermine its credibility. You know, like Biden and the Democrats. Go ahead. And the way election results are um, calculated. So, um, and in all so these... So, Elena w- Kagan, God, is she ignorant. So, in a case like that, if you really believe that the state legislature has conducted itself in an improper, even potentially unconstitutional manner, what do you do about it? Who decides that? Congress. As it always has. Congress decides it. The Electoral College votes are added up by Congress. You see, despite what you're hearing, the propaganda from the Susan Collinses, the propaganda from the Romneys and the media, just as the state legislature has the final say in a state, the Congress has the final say, period. So if Congress votes in some method to reject the electors, they're not counted. They're not counted. Go ahead. I think what might strike a person is that uh, this is a proposal that gets rid of the normal checks and balances. No, it isn't. 
it's different checks and balances. They're constitutional checks and balances. You have to comply with the state and federal constitution. And presumably a state legislature will follow a state legislature's election statutory law. And in the end, the the electors are the uh, the the electors are sent for counting to uh, to a joint session of Congress. So it is different in that regard. You want to know why, America? Because that's what the framers said, and that's what they wanted. This is a quintessentially political process. It's not supposed to be a litigated or legal process, even though it's become that, especially after Gore brought all these lawsuits against the Bush people. But it is a quintessential political process, and that's exactly what the framers wanted, and it was what the ratifiers demanded. They would never have turned over this power to a state or federal court or this federal government that they were creating. Go ahead. May... Um big governmental decisions are made in this country. And, and you might think that it gets rid of all those checks and balances at exactly the time when they are needed most. So I, that's like, just a political statement, so I don't know what that means. Go ahead. We all know have their own self-interest. They want to get reelected. And so there are countless... Yeah, that's why it's a political process. That's okay, Justice. It's supposed to be a political process. It's okay, Justice. Rather than you self-righteously deciding the result. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. 81 years ago this morning, at a little after 7.30 a.m. Imperial Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Over 2,000 men would die. Many of them would drown in their ships. It was a grave attack that almost took out the main elements of our Navy, but for our carriers that just happened not to be there took out most of the planes that were at Pearl. And our role in World War II would begin. Changing the world forever, changing America forever. Costing tens of millions of lives all over the world. 
I wonder if that's taught in school today. All the white, racist people who went to war to save this country, you know. I'll be right back. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. December 7, 1941, 81 years ago, if I did one of those interview deals where I went out with a microphone and asked people what happened 81 years ago, most people under 40 would have no idea. Almost nobody under 20 would know. We were attacked by another country, World War II. And it's not even really taught in any significant way in our schools. But we remember here. I've said many times, many of you don't live near Arlington National Cemetery, but if you ever come to the Washington area, many people who live in that area don't go to the Arlington National Cemetery. You should. And you'll see row 
after row after row after row of Americans who gave their lives in every battle that this nation has ever fought. The overwhelming majority of whom are very young. Some of them never reached the age of 20. Most of them never reached the age of 30. Some of them did. So when you hear people talk about a white supremacist society, when you hear people talk about this nation the way that they do on MSNBC and CNN and write about it, the New York Times and the Washington Post, I bet most of those, those reporters never even crossed the Potomac to walk those rows and rows and rows. Keep in mind, as you do, how blessed we are and how rabid and vile those who hate America, particularly those who've been raised in this country, who've achieved great notoriety and success and wealth in this country, how they smear and besmirch those people who were buried there and buried all over the world and buried all over our country in cemeteries. And the vast majority of them have never lifted a finger to improve this country. Marxist professors, whether in law schools, now in medical schools, never lifted a finger for this country. The vast majority of politicians never lifted a finger for this country. The overwhelming majority in the media never lifted a finger for this country. All right, back to this case, Moore versus Harper. Justice Kentanji Brown-Jackson, she's a real big mouth on this uh, Supreme Court. Uh, She tries to demonstrate how smart she is, and quite the contrary. In my view, she demonstrates... What a radical, ideological moron she is. She thinks this is some district court, I guess. But be be that as it may, she goes back and forth with the attorney for Thomas Moore, that is, the challenge to the Supreme Court of North Carolina. Cut 16, go. Can I ask you a question? Because you you suggest that... Um, there's this thing called the legislature that the framers were familiar with. And I'm, I'm trying to understand why what counts as the legislature isn't a creature of state constitutional law. Well, Your Honor, I, I think this court in Arizona did say that the states have a lot of flexibility in terms of defining uh, what state legislature means. But what Arizona did not say is that there could be substantive limitations. But, but it, well, I don't understand how that's a different thing. In other words, if the state constitution tells us what the state legislature is and what it can do and who gets on it and what the scope of legislative authority is, then when the state... Supreme Court is reviewing the actions of an entity that calls itself the legislature, why isn't it just looking to the state constitution and doing exactly the kind of thing you say when you, when you uh, admitted 
that this is really about what authority the legislature has. In other words, the authority comes from the state constitution. Uh, let's, let's stop there. Actually, the authority in this case comes from the federal constitution. And she raises an interesting point about the state legislature. Okay, what's a state court? What's a state court? What's judicial review in a state? Where did that come from? Who defined that? Now they know exactly what I'm saying, not that they hear me, but they know exactly what I'm saying. Go ahead. Your Honor, it's a federal function, and we know that from Lesser. So this court in Lesser held it's a federal function. When these duties are assigned to the states, that is a, a duty that is assigned by the federal Yes, government. it's a duty. The duty is to uh, make this legislative determination, that is, the determination about elections. My question is, where does the entity's power come from to make any determinations at all? Right. I mean, yes, I see that the federal it doesn't come from a court that much. We know it doesn't come from a governor that much. We know. But if she wants to go very, very back to the beginning because she thinks she's got something. Well, you can apply that to any branch of the state government, but you can especially apply it to judicial review. Which is not in the federal constitution and frankly, isn't in most state constitutions. It's an implied power to practice. So how would you define judicial review? And why is that important? Because if the courts are going to have the final say in such a powerful say in a political process, it's interesting. They don't say, well, it's the political doctrine, so we're not going to get involved in it. No, here they want to get involved in it. It's interesting. But it's one thing if she says, almost like Kagan said, but Kagan was really quite inept, which is, can a state violate that? No, a state can't. State has to exercise its duties within the federal and state constitutions. Now, she wants to know what is a state legislature and how do we define it? It was ambiguous at the time. Then she's raising questions about the entire makeup of a state government. But especially the power that courts use called judicial review. That's not in our federal constitution. It's an implied power mark, as I said. That's not in our federal constitution. You know, it's in our federal constitution, the word legislature, state legislature. So clearly the framers meant the state legislature. So if you apply to today what they intended, and we have a very damn good definition of what a legislature is today, don't we? Then the outcome is obvious. Go ahead giving them the right to make a particular determination. But they're not giving just anybody in the state that right. They're giving somebody called the legislature. And in order for us to have a thing called the legislature, we have to look at the state constitution to determine where those, you know, what that entity's powers are, how they can be exercised. Other than that, I don't really understand how the legislature is authorized to act at all. Well, Your, Your Honor, we know that's not right because in Lesser, the people of Maryland tried to prevent women from voting. And the way they did that is they put in their state constitution a prohibition on adopting the 19th Amendment. And then it came to this court, and this court said uh, that this is a federal function and that substantive limit of the state constitution was inapplicable. I'm just saying this is a pretty dumb series of questions. No offense, but it is a pretty dumb series of questions in my view. 
I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Just a reminder, folks, I'll be on Hannity at 9.25 p.m. Eastern. Also, a really important and, I think, intriguing and engaging show Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time and 5 p.m. Pacific. If you can't watch live or there's something else you want to do, I hope you will go ahead and set your DVR now to report to record it. I'm going to have two heavy hitters. We're going to have Miranda Devine and Peter Schweitzer. Oh, and me. So it's going to be an unusual show in many ways. We're really going to dig deeply. That will be exclusively on my show during the weekend. And uh, I hope you'll join us. In hour three, scheduled, Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan, who asked to come on the program to talk to you. We'll be back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read this secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 800-630-1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. We're anticipating... Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy on the program in about 15 minutes. Uh, And Jim Jordan's office made the request. We're happy, of course, to accommodate. I haven't talked to them, so I can only surmise. 
But in 15 minutes, no need to surmise. Epic Times. Ready for this, America? IRS issues another tax warning to Americans who make more than $600 online. You know, the billionaires and the millionaires. Independent contractors who made money via online services will have their income reported to the IRS starting in 2023, January 1. The agency said in its second warning issued Tuesday. Remember, I brought to you their first warning. People who made money via eBay, Etsy, Poshmark, Uber, any other digital services will face the new scrutiny and rules. Applies to anyone who made more than $600 via those platforms or via Venmo, Cash App, Zelly, PayPal, or similar platforms in return for goods and services. Quote, this is the second in a series of reminders to help taxpayers get ready for the upcoming tax filing season. A get ready page outlines steps taxpayers can take now to make tax filing easier in 2023, the IRS said in a new release on Tuesday. It noted that before 2022, Tax Form 1099-K was, quote, issued for third-party network transactions only if the total number of transactions exceeded 200 for the year, 200 transactions, and the aggregate amount of these transactions exceeded $20,000. But the Biden administration-backed American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 lowered the reporting threshold for third-party networks that process payments for those doing business, according to the agency. Now, a single transaction exceeding $600 can require the third-party platform to issue a 1099-K. Money received through third-party payment networks from friends and relatives as personal gifts or reimbursements for personal expenses is not taxable, it said. But, of course, you're going to have to prove that. Business owners were already required to report such income to the IRS. The new rule under the American Rescue Plan, they're rescuing us. Passed last year means the agency will be able to figure out what businesses earned via cash apps or other digital services, regardless what is reported via the 1099 forms. And the new rule only impacts payments received for goods and services. For example, those who use Venmo or PayPal to send a family member a gift. All right, we know all that. So uh, most of you will be entrapped by this billionaire's tale. Oh, we got to get the rich. You notice Biden doesn't say anymore that he's only taxing people who make over $400,000 a year. Inflation is a heinous tax. Price increases are heinous taxes. And now this, you're going to be harassed. 87,000 IRS agents joining 90,000 IRS agents. And they will need to keep busy to get their bonuses and so forth. But don't worry, we just had an election last night. Yesterday. In Georgia. And the Democrats voted for a Marxist. Who embraces a racist and an anti-Semite. And is accused of physically harming his wife and not paying for his children. And everybody's celebrating, especially the media and the Democrats. That's where we are in America today. Isn't that cool? And as the Democrats say, no, 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 no investigations. Uh, what are they? We've got to focus on inflation. The January 6th committee is just as grotesquely uh, partisan as we've always said. 
It will be making criminal referrals to the Department of Justice against Trump and other people. Now, that's a violation of separation of power. No, it's not, Mark. They can make criminal referrals. No, no, no. This was always a quasi-criminal investigation without the constitutional protections. That's what it always was. And it was enforced by the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office. by going after people like Bannon and Navarro, among others. So this is, this is really a totalitarian operation. It's really a horrific thing that's taking place here. It's a spectacle. And again, the corrupt media are part of it, including the Republican establishment media. They're part of it. But especially the Democrat media. Absolute frauds. And when I wrote Unfreedom of the Press, it lays out the whole case. What press? What freedom? I call them the American Providence. I've been calling them that for almost a year now. Because that's exactly what they are. Democrats ramp up investigation of Kushner family business dealings, the Washington Compost. So don't investigate the Biden crime family. Don't investigate anything. But even as they're leaving office, they're ramping up investigations. They're ramping them up. They're, they're obsessed. They're sick. Congressional panels seek records about Jared Kushner's diplomatic activities at a time when family's New York property was bailed out. Congressional panel. The Democrats in the House are on the way out. But they're not stopping. And on the Senate side, they're just gearing up. And of course, they have their buddy, Mitch McConnell, who keeps going to the microphone. We talk about suspended constitution. Well, you're not presidential material around here. As he uses it to wipe his uh, nose. Democrats on a pair of congressional committees have launched an aggressive new effort to obtain information about whether Jared Kushner's actions on U.S. policy in the Persian Gulf region as a senior White House advisor were influenced by the bailout of property owned by his family business. This, this is precious. They're not interested in the Bidens, despite the laptop, despite the emails, despite the text, despite the witnesses. They want nothing to do with any wire transfers to the Biden crime family. Nothing. They don't want a special counsel. They haven't subpoenaed a single witness or document, but Jerry Kushner. They want to know about him, not the sitting president of the United States, not the family of the sitting president of the United States. No, Jared Kushner. That's why you can give these people no quarter. Meet them on the 40-yard line. I'll meet them at the hot dog stand. Or they can buy me a hot dog. Meet them on the 40-yard line? Democrats have long raised questions about the deals because Qatar Investment Authority, a sovereign wealth fund, had a stake in one of Brookfield's investment arms. Brookfield said when it was negotiated, ah, who knows, who cares? What is this? Just raise more questions over there at the Washington Compost. And as you well know, the person who's in charge of the Washington Compost is a guy by the name of Fred Ryan. He also uh, runs the Reagan Library. He weaseled his way into the Reagan family, particularly with Nancy Reagan. Now, when Nancy Reagan was with us, and she was a fantastic first lady, 
I was able to go to the Reagan Library. She would approve who could and couldn't go, is my understanding. But things have changed at the Reagan Library. Liz Cheney speaks there. Chris Christie speaks there. But Trump people have been essentially banned. And of course, real Reaganites are not welcome either. That's what happens. That's what happens when these clowns and these lightweights take over these institutions. That's what happens. As his father went to prison for federal tax evasion and other charges about being convicted in 2005, Kushner, who's married to Trump's daughter. So you see, they get all that stuff in there. They get all that crap in there. Nothing's off the table. Nothing. And this is supposed to be a news story. So what's the news here? The Democrats are trying to smear Jared Kushner and his family. That's the news all wrapped up in bull, uh, bull stuff. Uh, Democrats ramp up investigation of Kushner family. That's a news story. That's a news release, a press release for the Democrat Party. And the Washington Post is more than happy to help them out. It's a non-story. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's a pleasure to have Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan. How are you guys? I'm fine, Mark. We're doing well. Well, before we get to COVID, you had a very successful event take place for COVID, uh, the military mandate. I do want to talk about this uh, leadership situation that's going on. And just as one American, I'm very concerned about where the Senate is going and what the Republicans are doing in the Senate, uh, trying to negotiate a massive spending bill, even though they might fail, voting against religious liberty and pretending it's about marriage. And uh, now talking about um, legalization and amnesty for millions and millions of illegal aliens, where we have this horrific problem on the border, and we have no affirmative agenda. And so as long as this battle goes on in the House, uh, where you have what I call five kamikaze Republicans who really do not have a plan B, and if this plays out, may wind up getting a moderate or even a Democrat as speaker, there's nobody there to speak for us. There's no committee being prepared to do what a committee needs to do. Jim Jordan, what would you say to your fellow Republicans? Well, they're, they're good guys and they're Republicans and they're friends, but I would say this. This past week, you saw Leader McCarthy go to the White House, tell the president, tell Chuck Schumer that we got to get rid of this vaccine mandate, come out, and a week later, that has happened. So that's how you're supposed to. You come together, you have a leader who goes and fights for something we've been talking about, you've been talking about, Mark, so many conservatives have been talking about, and you win on it, and then you tell them, you know what, next year when we do this bill, we're going to make sure every one of these military guys who wants to gets reinstated, that they get back pay, and then we're coming after all the woke baloney you're doing at our military academies and up and down the military. That's what you do. That's how it works. And you have that when you unite and you fight for the things we told the voters we were going to fight for and the things they put us in office to fight for. So that, that's what I would point to. And that's, what, I, that, that's what, what, what I'm telling all my colleagues. That's what we have to do. And we just saw it play out in the last eight days. 
And has uh, Kevin McCarthy told you that when you're chairman of the Judiciary Committee, you are free to pursue these investigations <laughs> as you see fit? He sure has. And, and I'll tell you what, one thing, too. So a couple of weeks ago, our, our good friend and colleague, uh, Jamie Comer, called a press conference where he talked about he wants to see these 150 suspicious activity reports on Hunter Biden. Here's what we're going to do. And literally after that meeting, Leader McCarthy puts out a tweet and says, we're going to get this stuff done because the American people deserve the truth. And the first step in stopping this garbage from happening in the future with the DOJ and other places, the first step is always to expose it. And that is part of our duty. We have never had a leader who took that kind of aggressive position on making sure the country gets the facts on important matters like what happened with the Biden business operation. And Kevin McCarthy, um, it is it appears to me that you've been reaching out to the Freedom Caucus and conservatives more than Boehner did, more than Paul Ryan did and so forth and so on, that you actually have an interest in knowing what these people stand for. Is that correct? That is correct, because a lot of their issues are exactly my issues. I mean, you know, I, I remember calling Jim up and say, you're the right person to run oversight. And I'm telling you, Jim, Jim's one of the best chairs we have. You, you could say all lines. And think about what we're going to be able to do starting January 3rd. Repeal 87,000 IRS agents. But we can't have one subpoena go out. We can't repeal until we all come together as one family. But, you know, I was just down at the border the other day. And I, I challenged the president. I invited him to go to the border with me. Because what is happening there today, you would think is a third world country. I went under one overpass. This is one overpass in El Paso. In the last 70 weeks, seven weeks, 70,000 people have come across that overpass, bringing fentanyl. I saw videos of tracers of bullets being shot at our National Guard. You've watched, we have no organizational control. These, the cartel now controls this area. So the president, we need to embed the Navy SEALs down there to actually help our border agents get control of this. If you want any accountability when it comes to these agencies, they've never brought one secretary in. They've never looked at where COVID originated from. I mean, all of this, we don't want to be delayed. I just read a story today where a Democrat from California is out there saying, look, if Kevin can't get there, I'm willing to go vote for a moderate Republican. Well, this is my and fear, what? and I'm not that, and I'm not the only conservative who's worried about this, who's not a member of the House of Representatives. That is, the majority's so tight. You play this thing out, it can get screwed up very, very easily. Jim Jordan, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, and, and, and look, uh, you, we're always better when we unite around conservative principles. We've done that. I, I've talked about this on the show before, Mark, but back when, when the Democrats did their crazy impeachment of President Trump, the conventional wisdom going into that debate, going into that craziness that they did, was that every single Democrat in the House of Representatives is going to vote to impeach President Trump and a bunch of Republicans are going to join. But all of us working together, you guys in, in, in the media, conservative media, those of us inside, we all work together. And what happened in the end? Every single Republican voted not to impeach President Trump. A bunch of Democrats joined us, one switched parties and is a great member of our conference now. That's how you have to operate, in my judgment, to take on the radical left. And we need to figure out any differences in our caucus between moderates and conservatives pale, pale in comparison to the differences between Republicans and the left, which now controls the Democrat Party and their, their, their crazy agenda that they've put on our country for the last 22 months. 
That's what we got to stop. So let's get figure out how we get together and let's go about stopping it and getting wins like we got this week on the vaccine mandate. Now let's talk about that. that. The vaccine. Go ahead, Kevin. Big win. Yeah, this is a big win. We've been fighting for two years. Why? Because we've watched what Fauci has done. We've watched what government has done to our business, to our own lives. That they mandated a vaccine. They literally kicked men and women who are defending our nation out of the military. The army has come up fifteen thousand people short in recruiting. The Marines have lowered their recruiting because they can't get there. We were able to stand up to the Secretary of Defense and went right into the White House. If you want to have an NDAA, this has got to be lifted. And this is the difference after the election. Look, we've lost seats in the Senate. They lost seats with governors. They lost seats with the president. It's only the House. For the last two elections, we have won. And we've won in California, Oregon. We beat the DCCC chair, something that hasn't happened in 42 years. And Jim is right. When we work as one, we're stronger. And remember, what was the goal? Stop the Biden agenda. Win the majority. Fire Nancy Pelosi. We were able to do all that. Look, do we want a bigger majority? Yes. But they don't hand gavels out in small, medium, and large. We get one gavel and we get a subpoena too. And this is the important part that people have to realize. You know who signs off on every subpoena? The speaker. And if we're united as one group, as conservatives, we're going to be on one voice. If someone gets put in by putting Democrats too, I'm sure they'll have to give something of that up. And how are we ever going to secure the border? How are we going to pull back the agents? How are we going to get the spending under control? And how are we going to get accountability? Those things is have to be one voice and work all together. Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan, I want to thank both of you. And if I don't speak to you, have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And I know you're both going to be working through it. And uh, all my best to you. God bless. Thanks, Mark. Thank Take care, brother. All right. We'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Governor DeSantis, America's governor, is going to be sworn in for a second term on Tuesday, January 3rd. As you know, I'm a resident of Florida, here most of the time. Go back and forth between here and Virginia, but mostly here. And uh, people come up to me, they say, we don't want to lose 
DeSantis as our governor. I said, what makes you think he's going to lose? I mean, you're going to lose him. Well, if he runs for president. I said, I see. Well, the nation needs conservatism. Not populism. Conservatism. The nation needs people who can explain what it is and persuade people. And this last election showed that we do have some who can do that. Not Christie, not Hogan. They can't. But we have some who can. That's very, very important. You want to win elections? You run on our principles? as applied to current issues that are taking place. The Republicans in the Senate cannot even articulate what they support or oppose in any rational way, substantive way, legislative way, because they're leaderless. But it's their fault. It's the fault of 37 of them. 37 of them. They're voted yet again for Mitch McConnell. And that's the situation we're in. The Democrats have an agenda. They fight for it. They know how to market it. They know how to, how to speak in a way in which they attract interest from people of all backgrounds and, and uh, economic categories. The Republicans don't. How can you have a Republican leader in the Senate who doesn't go on conservative talk shows? When's the last time McConnell was on with Hannity? Or Tucker? Or me. When's the last time? I'm not talking about my buddy Hugh Hewitt. Everybody knows Hugh is a Gerald Ford Republican. Really good guy. Good friend. But he is what he is. He's a Christy McConnell, you know, Republican. And that's okay. That's who he is. A lot of people are. I'm different. He's a great guy, by the way. Good friend. Good lawyer. Just wrong about this stuff, in my view. He knows it. We've talked about it. But that's beside the point. We're not going to get anywhere. They talk about elections matter. Then they find scapegoats all the time. And then the Washington media supports their scapegoating, particularly if it's a conservative. And, of course, who's the easiest scapegoat? Trump. Before it was Reagan. It's always a conservative Tea Party. Do you think that the Republican establishment wants DeSantis in the White House? Do you? If you do, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Do you think the corrupt American media want DeSantis anywhere near the White House? Of course not. They already have files filled with sleaze and leaks and character assassination things they want to use. Let's just get past Trump. And then what? By the way, vote for whom you want. That's not my point. My point is this force, this American Marxism, this American Pravda media, they're not going away for anybody. They feel they're on the precipice of forever changing our country and forever changing the the power and who has the power and who exercises the power in this country to Washington 
and taking it away from every other corner of the country. And they want to empower Democrat strongholds, cities, pretty much. Because they've seen in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and so many other states, the cities are the tail that wag the dog. That is, the cities, it's easier to get the vote out. It's easier to use harvesting and curing and absentee ballots to knock on doors than it is an entire state. If you're a Republican running in Pennsylvania, you're running on the east side, the west side, the central side. If you're a Democrat running in Pennsylvania, pretty much you have to wrap up three or four areas and you're set. In Georgia, you wrap up Atlanta and the, and the counties outside of Atlanta, pretty much, a couple more, and you're set. New York, you wrap up New York City and a few of the other mid-sized cities, and you're done. And they have figured out that this is the way you win elections forever. You set up voting systems that are applicable to the cities and to the Democrat suburbs. You put out effectively what are mailboxes, call them drop boxes. You allow anybody and everybody to vote that way. You allow anybody and everybody to vote by mail. You allow harvesting, so you send out your hacks into apartment buildings, into nursing homes, into <coughs> low-income housing, into very expensive condo areas. This is where all the Democrats are, or a lot of them are, and go door-to-door, may I have your ballot, may I have your ballot? That's harvesting. Or cure the ballots. Where Democrats call Democrats and say, oh, you didn't date this, or you didn't do this. And best yet, you get the courts to do it for you. Oh, dates don't matter, signatures don't matter. This is how they're winning elections. They've destroyed our voting system. They've destroyed it. Already. And now they want to put a final nail in the heart of the voting system by nationalizing this system and by eliminating the role of the state legislature. Is that what, that's what Justice Jackson and, and the others are all about. Eliminate the role of the state legislature. I would say this to Justice Jackson, by the way. We know what the framers did not mean, is one of the things I would say to her. By legislature, they did not mean court. By legislature, they did not mean governor. By legislature, they did not mean Secretary of State. By legislature, they didn't mean Mark Elias. They didn't mean boards of election. Whatever legislature means, Justice, in your mind or in your interpretation, it doesn't mean the other things at all, does it? But this is the person who couldn't define what a woman is without a biologist. So I guess she can't define what the word legislature means without a biologist either, Mr. Producer. Semantics. Not serious text and conduct. Games. She doesn't sound like a justice to me. She sounds like an advocate. She sounds like the general counsel for the Democrat National Committee. She sounds like a a colleague of Mark Elias and his sleazy law firm. She doesn't sound like a justice to me in the way she asks questions. Kagan gives it the old college try, 
but she didn't sound smart enough to me. Isn't Kagan the one, or am I wrong, Mr. Bidus, that met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac? Was it Kagan? Was it her? Oh, Lynch, the Attorney General, Lynch. Sorry. Move along. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Now, there is a piece here that I want you to hear, if I can get it in before, uh, before time is up. This is at Fox. California Democrat says he'd vote for a unity GOP speaker, but McCarthy allies warn of concessions. It's Ro Kahana of California. And one of the concessions would be, apparently, don't impeach the head of the DHS. And there's other concessions. You got five kamikaze Republicans right now who are dug in. They've got no alternative. They say, let the process play out. There's a congressman, Bruce Westerman, Republican Arkansas. He told his Republican colleagues today, this scenario is not so far afield. That is, where the Democrats choose the Republican speaker. He's relaying his own experience as a member of the Arkansas House of Representatives. He said, I was the minority leader in the Arkansas House. We flipped the majority. There hadn't been a GOP majority in 138 years. This is what he told Fox. It was close, 51 to 49. Our conference met. We adopted a policy agenda, selected our speaker, thought everything was good until another Republican challenged. And he had the support of the 49 Democrats. I never in my wildest dreams thought Democrats would elect our first Republican speaker in the Republican legislature. We did it with secret ballots on the House floor. And I couldn't believe what was happening, Westerman said. I was trying to make the case to our conference that we better get ourselves unified or we're opening up the door for something like that to happen. And it happened. Now, at least one Democrat right now is expressing openness to supporting a unity candidate under certain conditions. Democrat Representative Ro Kahana of California tells Fox, I'm open to the historic possibility of a unity candidate for speaker who puts the needs of the nation first, you see, with an agenda of making us a manufacturing superpower again, technology leader. Now, Roy, uh, um, Ro Kahana is better than most, but he's still a lib, hardcore. We need a leader who's more interested in legislating than launching investigations. You get the point? So this is real. This is real. Now, if the numbers go a certain way, there is a scenario under which a Democrat like Hakeem Jeffries could be elected Speaker of the GOP-led House as well. This is why I say enough of the games by the Andy Biggs and Matt Gaetzes of the world. That's enough. Of course, I'm not in charge of anything. You'd think I was, the way they, they seem so offended when I call them boneheads. Why are they offended when I call them boneheads, Mr. Producer? I mean, if you're a bonehead, you're a bonehead. You should live up to it, and they are. So this is my concern, and I'm not the only one. I may have been the first, but I'm not the last. There's a lot of conservatives out there who are very concerned that we will not get these investigations underway, that we will not be able to battle the Senate, including the Republicans there, when it comes to the border, when it comes to spending and the debt, when it comes to social issues and all the rest. 
that this could be the stupidest thing imaginable. That's my concern. It's not a question of if I agree with every single thing Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise or anybody else wants to do. Obviously, I don't. But he's the one they rally around. McCarthy. And by the way, I don't remember Biggs working his ass off all over the country to raise money for his fellow colleagues to get elected. Or Matt Gates. I don't remember him doing it. Or the other three kamikazes. I just don't remember it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can tweet out something. You never know. Boston City Council approves petition to allow juveniles to vote amid Democrat campaign to capture impressionable voting bloc. This is from The Blaze. Great site, of course. So the Democrats continue to seek new voting blocks, they write, amid their declining support from working-class voters, extra looking for ways to confer voting rights upon illegal aliens and foreign nationals. Some Democrats are seeking ways to add high, high schoolers to their ranks, writes Joseph McKinnon. The Boston City Council approved a petition last week to allow juvenile residents to vote in municipal elections. Critics have suggested that the petition, which may still be killed at the state level, may be less about suffrage, more about potential partisan gains, and of course they are. In a 9-4 to vote with leftists composing the majority, the City Council in Boston approved a petition that would allow 16- and 17-year-old residents to vote in municipal elections. You believe this? Illegal aliens voting in New York and other cities, 16 and 17-year-old. And the way that Joseph McKinnon put this is right on. Looking for and creating new voting blocks. Because the Democrats care about one thing and only one damn thing, their power. That's all they're concerned about. 16 and 17-year-olds voting? They're not even allowed to smoke, are they, Mr. Producer? They're not even allowed to buy cigarettes or a, or a six-pack of beer, are they? Last time I checked, how many of you parents of 16 and 17-year-olds think they should be able to vote? Well, this is the, the insanity of the left. It's only going to get worse. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. We salute our truckers and the men and women seeking freedom all over the world. God bless you and good luck. And I'll be on Hannity in 30 minutes. I'll see you there on Fox, and I'll be back here tomorrow. Be safe, and God bless you.